I want to begin here with a, uh, a video. <laughs> uh, when, when I crafted this message, my mind, somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew, I knew about this old hymn. And I couldn't remember how it went or the words to it, but I looked it up and I want to share it with you. It's called Lord of the Dance. And uh, I don't know if you've heard it or not, but uh, it's sung in this case by this boys' choir, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. I was going to choose a video that had the, the words, cause I want, but I think they're clear enough, and, and I, I just thought this was, the vent, this was the way I wanted to present it to you, so go ahead.
I don't know, could you hear those words? Pretty good. My favorite part is where it says, I'll live in you if you'll live in me. A passion to communicate, engagefulness. This message is entitled Dance. How many of you like to dance? Will you admit it? I see some hands out there. Cool. Uh, I remember a little blast from the past here. It was in the mid-80s. I was 23, 4, 5 years old, somewhere around there, mid-20s. I was in my second year as a math teacher at Winford High School in Ohio when a colleague of mine, uh, he, he, had been, he, he was a math teacher also. He, he helped me actually to learn to teach math. He was a really good friend of mine. But we found out together that the local community theater there in Bucyrus was putting on the musical 1776 that year. Now, neither he nor I had done any sort of drama before, but we thought it'd be awesome to try and to try out. So we sort of dared each other and encouraged each other when each of us lost courage. And he ended up, he tried out for a lead role, that of Benjamin Franklin. That's not him. That's the musical on TV. <laughs> That's not me either. <laughs> so he tried out for Franklin, and I foolishly tried out for the lead role of John Adams. And, of course, we backed out of it about a million times, but in the end, we overcame our, our fears and we showed up for the tryout. <laughs> And I remember during tryout, the director's name was Helen Picking Neff, and she owned Picking Copper Kettle Works there in Bucyrus. It was, it was centuries old. Her, her dad, before her, had started it or, or even inherited it from his dad, but they made those great big kettle drums for orchestras. They, theirs was the cup, they made them by hand. And that was one of the things. They made all sorts of copper things, but, but they were in great demand. If there was an orchestra in the nation, a lot of them went to Helen's company for their kettle drums. But anyway, uh, she was in her like, mid-80s. She was really quite old, uh, but just full of life and vim and vigor, and she was really good in the fields of drama. She had actually known Charlton Heston personally, during her time at Northwestern University. So she was kind of a legend there. And anyways, we showed up and Helen's sitting there and, and amongst the, the, the casting people and, and she had us sing Yankee Doodle to test our, our vocals. So, you know, and, and I think we had to march around to it too, you know, you know, just to see if we had any sense of rhythm or not. So, and, oh, Yankee Doodle. Anyway, as it happened, uh, it, my friend Mike, he, he got the part of Ben Franklin. He kind of looked like Ben Franklin. I think that helped. And, and as far as John Adams goes, well, guess what? You know, I, I landed that role. And we were both shocked and surprised that they would take that chance. This was a big production. And I remember there was this one scene where both Franklin and Adams danced with Thomas Jefferson's wife. Uh, and we had to learn the steps to, to box waltz. And it was, it was so much fun. And, and we had a choreographer, he was an elderly gentleman too, that worked with us. Um, and in the short time we worked together, he and I just kind of hit it off. And as he, he taught us the steps and how to do that, I remember, I remember learning to lead Kim 
Kim got the role of Jefferson's wife, and she was actually my eighth grade English teacher when, when I was in eighth grade. Uh, she was a young teacher. I kind of had a crush on her at the time, so I got to dance with, with her here in my mid-twenties. But I, I had to, I, I felt like I learned just a little bit of how to lead in a waltz. I didn't know this before, but, but when, when the box waltz goes something like this, you go, you go one, two, three, one, two, three, and you can just circle around like this. But what I didn't know is, is you know, I held my hand out like this. She took my hand, and I, I put your hand on her waist. But you got to kind of stiffen up your arms because you're actually, like when I step forward, I'm pushing her, and I'm pulling her, and I'm pulling her, and I'm pushing her sideways. I'm leading, Right? She's gone where I'm, I'm taking her. I was leading that dance. And I, I didn't, honestly didn't know that, that before. It was just kind of cool. I learned to lead in a waltz. Just an interesting kind of rabbit trail footnote as to my time there in that, in that whole thing as a Christian, representing Jesus among this rather large cast and crew um, I mentioned our choreography, and we, we connected kind of as friends during that brief time, but I, I never really engaged that man with Jesus um, directly. And as I recall that time, uh, it was less than a year later after 1776 had, had played that he died of AIDS. And I, I did nothing to compromise my faith in Christ in that, in that whole venue. I didn't compromise it at all, but I also can't really say that I made every effort, spude, to give him a chance to know the Jesus that, that tabernacles in me. And I think of that, and I think of him once in a while when I, when I am faced with, with opportunities with people that life presents. We are to, to make every effort. And it, it's interesting because Jesus is Lord of the dance. He's my dance leader. I follow his lead. And then he calls us to dance. And, and we lead others to him. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Would you stand with me? We're going to read 3 through 11 together. This is our text last week as well. I'm going to read it with just a few points of commentary along the way. Uh, Peter writes, God's divine power has given us, this is a beautiful promise here, everything we need for life and godliness. That's awesome. And that everything we need is through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, referring back to his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them, through the promises, you may participate, two things, you may participate in the divine nature on the one hand, and on the other hand, escape the corruption in the world that's caused by evil desires. 
Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort. There's your verbs, budei. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. I don't know if you know your vision maladies out there very well, but I happen to be farsighted which means I can see pretty well far away. I can see you folks in the back pretty well, but when I'm doing this, I need glasses to read because that is so fuzzy. So I'm farsighted. Nearsighted is when you can see this pretty well, but when you look far away, it's all fuzzy. And that is particularly the illustration. There are many Christians who, who can see this life pretty clearly, but they can't connect the dots between what's right in front of their face and the physical realities with, with the eternal realities. He says, you're nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his sins. Therefore, my brothers, here comes your next verb, be all the more eager, spude, to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always, Peter says, I will always remind you of these things. That's pretty cool. You may be seated. This is a passion to communicate. That's the series you and I are called to teach. I've said it a few times. I'm not talking formally, but I'm talking dynamically. Will you own that, by the way, if you profess to know Christ? Um, you should dynamically teach. Make disciples and teach them to obey. And we have seen three principles of teaching and learning presented in Howard Hendricks' book and in the life of Jesus perfectly Teaching to Change Lives is Hendricks' book. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is Jesus' book. Uh, the first principle is the law of the teacher. That's fullness, we said. You teach out of what fills you. The second's the law of education. That's otherness. It's about the student, not about you, the teacher. And number three, the law of activity, which is the one we're still on. That's engagefulness. And for that one, we first looked at James chapter 1 a few weeks ago, reminding ourselves that we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And James went on to write in that, that being, with being a hearer without obedience is, is like a man who looks in the mirror, and then he, when he leaves, he forgets what he looks like. He, he forgets who he is. He forgets whose he is. That's that nearsighted thing. I see you when I'm looking in the mirror. As soon as I leave, I don't see that anymore. Now, last week we did a part two on the law of activity, engagefulness, because the reason being is because I came across the same themes of doing and a warning against forgetting in 2 Peter. And I was just intrigued. I needed to dive in there, so we did. And that's the passage we just read where Peter 
talked about forgetting. If you're nearsighted and blind, have forgotten. And then he says, if you do these things, doer of the word, if you do these things, you'll never fall. And last week, we, we kind of centered everything around this question, do what things? What are we supposed to do? What does Peter tell us to do such that we'll never fall? And we found two commands in the passage, two verbs. And when we looked back, in verse 5 was the command to make every effort. Verse 10 was the command to be all the more eager to make our calling and election sure. So we're commanded to eager effort in Christ. And both of those commands to effort and eagerness were translated from, surprised me, the same Greek verb, spude. Say spude. Say speed. That's a Greek word for speed. Spude. And its meaning is eagerness, earnestness, diligence, forwardness, haste. In other words, we're to get after it. We might say that this word spude is a passionate desire to do something about it. That was last week. So this week, here's my question. Effort and eagerness. Think about that. Effort. Eagerness. To me, they have a lot to do with desire. Does that connect with you? With wanting. I want this thing. So I put forth the effort. I'm eager for it. I want this thing. So in light of that, it's, it's relationship to wanting. I have two questions I want to answer. First one, what does Peter tell me I'm supposed to want? What am I supposed to want? What's the object or the aim of my eager effort? And the second question is like unto it, but just a little different. And it's, it's this one. What it is to motivate me to want this? I mean, I mean, think about it. Every desire has a motivation. If you want something, there's a reason, there's a motive behind your desire, even sometimes a purpose. So let's start with question one. It's pr really pretty easy. What does Peter tell me I'm to want? We just can look at the text. He tells us exactly what is the focus of our eagerness and effort. Here's where it is. I believe it's verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to finish it, church. Add to your faith. Say add. That word right there is really the, the topic of this message right here. It's the heartbeat. Add to your faith. What does that mean? Make every effort to add to your faith. Well, I don't, I don't want to just believe on Jesus. I want my belief in Jesus to affect my life and my relationships. And if it is true belief, then it will. And then Peter goes on and he gives a list of seven qualities. Say seven. Seven qualities that are to be, they're to be stacked up, if you will, one on top of the other. There's a, there's a progression here in our sanctification. I'll grab that word, sanctification, it's a fancy theological word, I hope you know what that means. That's your growth, you're to be set apart in, the way, in, in who you are and the way you live your life, set apart 
for Christ. You're to be holy. And by the way, let, let me just say this. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's a really, really important hole we're going down here. Let me say that this passage right here, 1 Peter 1, or 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11, is written to Christians about their sanctification, about how they, they grow in influence. It is not a passage to non-Christians about their salvation. That, that's really important. So a seeker doesn't read this passage asking, oh, how do, I, how do I gain eternal life? How am I saved? Oh, I see. I have to work really hard with eager effort in order to earn right standing with God. No, 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 a thousand times, no. You're missing the whole point of the passage. That is not the context of 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. It is written to believers. This is a circular letter Peter wrote to be circulated among the churches in northern Asia Minor. These are saved people, and the topic is how to grow and influence in Christ in the particular context, read on in the letter, where there are many false teachers. That's the context. Is that clear? That needs to be really clear. Be, let, me, let me tell you why it needs to be really clear. If someone came up to you, you better be able to handle this. Let's see, where's the passage? Let's say somebody came up to you on the street and said, you know what, you got to work for your salvation. This is work. you, you got to work. And if you don't believe me, oh, i got, I got scripture to back it up. Listen to this. If you do these things, you'll never fall, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you got to do. That's how you get to heaven. What would you... Could you answer that? Not, okay, there's good scriptures. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy. It's Titus, I believe. Yeah, use God's word, but you can use the same passage and say, this is a circular letter Peter wrote here. This is to Christians. This isn't to unbelievers. He didn't write that to unbelievers tell them how to be saved. He wrote this to believers. You better be able to answer those kind of questions. So, Christian, born again one, one in whom the Holy Spirit tabernacles and empowers, do these things, and you'll never fall. What are we supposed to do? Make every effort to what again? What was the word I somebody said? Add to your faith. Add to your faith. We are called to effort and eagerness to add to our saving faith. Now, this is an awesome picture and an awesome concept. The word for add here is the word epikorageo. You like that, don't you? The prefix epi, epi is a Greek prefix, and it serves to strengthen the word to which it is attached. It amplifies its meaning. So the actual main word here, the root word, is korageo. Does that sound like anything to you? 
choreography, choreograph. Yes, that's where we get the word. You know what it means? This word means, choregeo means to be a dance leader. That's what it means. It means to furnish, to give, to minister, to choreograph. I believe the picture here in this passage is that your faith, your faith is the leader of the dance of life. Now, when two people dance, one person leads, as I illustrated here, and the other follows or responds, is guided by the lead. And here, faith leads. Now, since that's the case, you, know, you guys know faith, belief, that's a pretty important concept in the scriptures. Uh, it's the same word, pistuo or pistis, believe, faith, those, those are related terms in the Bible. Uh, I've thought a lot about faith, and, and this is what I teach and based on God's word. I teach in our membership class even here that faith has three aspects to it, three, three pieces, overlapping pieces. The first is that faith has an object doesn't it, doesn't it drive you crazy when you're, you're listening to the TV or something and somebody asks, well, how'd you get through that? How'd you get through that? And the guy says, oh, it's my faith. And my faith got me through. And they never tell you what their faith was in. <laughs> it's, it's usually the context, faith in myself, you know, faith in my great ability or something like that. But faith has to have an object because it's faith in something. Listen, Jesus Christ is the object of our faith as revealed by God in his word. Faith has an object. The object is Jesus. However, there are a lot of different ideas about who Jesus is and what Jesus said. So number two, faith has content. Say content. Who is Jesus? Is he divine or was he just a great teacher? That kind of thing. Who is Jesus and what did Jesus do? And what did Jesus do? That's the content of our faith. So you got an object, you got a content, and then the third part to faith is faith has a practice. The practice of our faith is how we obediently respond to the person, the promises, and the content of our faith. So faith has object, content, practice. Say those three. Yeah, yeah, if... That is so helpful. If you have a conversation with somebody about, about the gospel and about Christ, they're not going to know that. When you talk about belief on Jesus, that's all you got to do, believe. What's that mean? Faith has an object, a content, and a practice. Faith answers the question, who is Jesus? Object. What did Jesus say and do? Content. And what should I do about that? How do I respond to that practice? And God's word shows us all three. Here in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, we are to add to epikorigeo or let our faith lead with a list of, of seven things that dance with faith. And as, as we grow as individuals and as a, a group of believers, as we grow and become more influential and powerful teachers, we are called to flavor and light up this world. 
Faith is the lead partner for each of these qualities we're going to look at. And this list, I emphasize, it's not random. Faith is to dance with each in order as we grow. And the sad thing is that we have believers all over this country that haven't danced in years. And, and I, I really think part of it is we need to get faith out of the library and out of the Bible study room and out into life. Now, we are not going to be able to unpack this list extensively beyond giving a brief definition of each quality. I'm going to leave that to you all in, in your conversations at home today, both to study and discuss and become these things. Our time will not allow a full exposition, and if we tried that, we'd all get a little lose focus anyway. So let's take a look at them briefly, each one. You ready? Make every effort to add to your faith. What's the first one? Goodness. Goodness. Make every effort. Remember spudet. Add to your faith. Epicurageo. Let faith dance. Take the lead. To goodness. Now, the King James, if you have a King James Bible in your lap right now, it says virtue. Okay, so they've translated a little different goodness, virtue. We say, you know, be good. You're supposed to be good as a Christian. You're supposed to be nice. That's not at all what this word means. The, 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 I won't bore you with the Greek term as far as pronouncing it, but it means manliness, valor. What's another word for valor? Bravery. Excellence. That's what it means. You're supposed to add to your faith excellence. It's not, not just be morally good, nice person. That's not what it's talking about. I haven't been accused too many times of being a nice guy, and that's okay. I'd rather be this. Jesus Christ gives us a reason to strive for excellence in everything we do. Do you believe that? I used to have students that I taught that went to a particular denomination of church that professed to be believers, and they were some of the worst students I had. Didn't. Cut it with me. Jesus Christ gives us a reason to strive for excellence in everything we do. We should not be lax, slovenly, or ocious in anything. There's a word for you, ocious. Look it up when you get home. It's a good one. So, make every effort to add to your faith excellent. And then, to add, add to goodness, knowledge. Second one's knowledge. The word is gnosis. If you've heard of the Gnostics of the 3rd and 4th centuries, that, that the Gnostic Gospels of Thomas that were not written by Thomas, or all, you know, all that stuff, uh, it was a heretical teaching. But this word wasn't heresy. This is the word for knowledge. Listen to what it means. It's the act of knowing. It's knowledge. Listen to this. It's science. I love that. Gnosis, think of it as science. Discovery. And here, it's not just talking about biblical knowledge. 
Here's what I want to say about this. Add to, to your faith goodness. Add to goodness knowledge. Jesus Christ gives us a reason, a motivation to know. To know. When I was a biology student, I still am a biology student. I love that stuff. But my biggest motivation was because when I, when I discovered how DNA translated into RNA, and that was taken outside the nucleus to the ribosomes and translated into proteins, and those proteins folded amongst themselves and made a particular 3D structure that either made up your cells structurally or, or catalyzed reactions throughout the body, that whole thing, that manufacturing process that goes on in every single cell of your body, to know that for me, to understand that, was to know a little bit more about the mind of God. That kind of knowledge. Still stirs me up when I think about it. Jesus gives a reason to know. Add to goodness Knowledge, add to knowledge, self-control. The word is enkratia, and it means self-control. Jesus Christ gives us the reason and the power to pursue what is good and right and to restrain from that which is selfish and damaging. I, I used to talk to my kids about this, probably not enough, but I think they'll recognize some of this. I used to talk about it, particularly with Preston, it more developed as in, in my thinking as he got older. So I don't know if like Jake or Seth or Jess would remember, but I used to talk about the discipline of restraint. And I remember Preston asking me, hey, Dad, can I go play this video game? Ugh, I hate video games. To me, they're an absolute waste of life. And so I'm thinking, okay, he's got all his chores done. He's, uh, you know, there's, no, there's really no reason for me to say no. So here's what I'd do. I would say, yeah, you can play video games, and I'd give him permission to play for a while, but I want you to think about this. <laughs> I would say, think about the discipline of restraint. Is there something better that you could do with your life right now? <laughs> In other words, and this is not for Preston, this is for all of you, <laughs> and, and for me too. Can you, can you tell that spoiled brat child that lives deep down in each one of us, no? Can you? Sometimes I, I don't do a very good job of that. That's self-control. To say no to this, even though I really want to do that right now, and to say yes to this, even though that's not something I really want to do right now, but I know I should. Oh, those are the disciplines of restraint. That's self-control. The job of you as a parent is to control your child and along that path teach them what no means. And when they hear it from you, teach them to control themselves and not freak out like they're prone to do so that later on they can tell themselves no and they know what that feels like. Self-control. 
Add to self-control. Let's go on. Perseverance. Yeah, let's get off that one. What do you say? Uh, <laughs> perseverance is hupomene. Is, I love this word because hupomene is hupo, which is under. Whenever you see the Greek prefix hupo, it means under. Mene or meno is the Greek word for abide that Jesus used in John 15 when he said, if you'll abide in me and my words abide in you. And, you know, and he said, apart from me, you can't do anything. That, that's this word, mene or meno. Hupomene is the word for perseverance. It means cheerful endurance, constancy, enduring, patience, patient continuance, even waiting. Listen. Jesus Christ gives us a reason and the power to keep at it even when it's hard, even when it hurts. And I think of James chapter 1, consider it pure joy because the testing of your faith develops. Hupomene. Perseverance. This is a pretty important quality to learn. Dance. Let your faith lead in that dance. Let perseverance, were to add godliness, that's Eusebia, it means piety, it means the gospel scheme, which means the whole, you see the gospel as the driving force of your life and everything fits into that scheme. Godliness, holiness, I always think of when I hear godliness, I think of Ephesians 5.1 where Paul writes, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as, just as God loved us and gave him, or Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself as a, as a uh, atoning sacrifice. Yeah. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Listen, Jesus Christ gives us the reason and the power to become like our Heavenly Father, like Father, like Son, or daughter that's godliness we're to dance our faith is to dance with becoming like the father and then we're to add to godliness brotherly kindness that's the word philadelphia that's of course philadelphia the city of brotherly love i hear there's not a whole lot of that going on right now in philadelphia as in uh, a lot of cities around our battered country but philadelphia uh, it means fraternal affection, brotherly love. It, this is the kind of love that says, you know what, I like you. And you like me back. I scratch your back and you scratch my back. We just feel good about each other. We just like each other. We get along. That's Philadelphia. Or Philadelphia. That's, that's this word for brotherly kindness. It's a, I call it a give and take kind of love. You benefit from me, I benefit from you. That's Philadelphia. But we're to add to that... And I hope there's a lot of that in our church here, a lot of Philadelphia. But we're to add to that then, here's the coup de grace, this is the last layer, love. What's that word? That's agape, that's the love of God. That's affection or benevolence, charity. Um, agape is the love of God where we can love even those that hate us or hate me. It's uh, this kind of love. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us. We weren't on his team. We were his enemies. It's when Jesus said, uh, Father, forgive them, 
when the guy that just pounded the nails through his wrists and hands, he's one of them. Father, forgive them. He didn't know what he was doing. That's love for enemies. That's the pinnacle of love when you can love somebody that hates your guts. It's love for even your enemies because, because God loves even his enemies. That's a divine love. You can't do that on your own. That's why it's the pinnacle of adding to your faith. So, that's the answer to the first question. What does Peter tell me I'm to eagerly and with much effort want? I want those. Do you want those? Some of those are hard. You want them? Amen. I'm to want to add these to my saving faith in Christ. Now, second question. You ready? Why? There's a motive here that we can unpack. What is to motivate me to want this? And it's right in the text. And the answer, we're going to have to save for later. Because we're out of time for today. So, that's your next, next, next time we gather. When I'm here, next time we gather, when I'm preaching, that's where we're going. So let's, let's kind of just cap it up here. Last week was doer. What are we supposed to do? Do what? Doer, do what? Spude. That's the verb. Spude. Eagerly and with much effort, add to your faith. Your faith should lead in the dance. Epicorigeo. What's, what what's the dance? What am I dancing with? These seven qualities, layered, one at a time. We're to grow and to change and to influence in these ways. Why? Because we have a passion to communicate. We're called to teach. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. There's so much here. We just kind of scratched the surface even today. Um, I love it. I'd really like to become that. That's where I'm heading. When I stand in your presence, when my faith becomes sight, because I'm going to see Jesus. Right now, I believe in him. I haven't seen him. I've never talked physically through the airwaves with Jesus where he talked back to me in that way. Right now, it's in spirit and truth. That's how we worship you one day. One day, it's not going to be like that anymore. Um, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. I'm sure and I'm certain that one day, I'm going to be in your presence. My faith will become sight. And this dance... I won't have to dance with these qualities of character. I can dance with you. You're the Lord of the dance. Look forward to that day. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see God. One glimpse of his dear face, all trials will erase. So bravely run the race. Yeah. Father, help us not to soon forget 
what we've heard today. Because then we'd be like that, that guy that looks in the mirror and leaves and goes back to his work-a-day job and in his garden or his fishing or hunting or camping or house repair. <laughs> Help us not to forget every place we go and everything we do. Um, make every effort to add to your faith these things. Grant us the boldness of Jesus, the boldness of your spirit, the fearlessness of God the Father. He's, he fears no one or not, and nothing. And we are your children. So grant us that, the valor of the goodness, the knowledge seeing everything in light of what you know and so on, the perseverance, all the way up to love. Help us to love even the people that are so afraid and so angry about that which they don't even know. Help us to view them through the eyes of Jesus and his compassion. And then to do something about it at work, uh, wherever we meet. People that don't, don't know you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.